when you, we're dealing today with your kingdom come. And whenever there's an Old Testament text um, that, that's cited to describe the kingdom of God, it's always Psalm 72. Um, so we're on page uh, 573. And, uh, and think of, of what the kingdom of God is very highly, uh, the very picturesque uh, imagery that's given here, a lot of symbolic language. But it really is a picture of what the kingdom of God is meant to do in the world. And of course, the, the king, this is of Solomon, um, the king, but the king really here is ultimately Christ the king, right? Give the king your justice, O God. And that means the, the right to do what is right, the right not only to bring about justice, but, but to rule, basically. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness, the doing of the right thing, to the royal son, and that is Jesus. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound until the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. See how the, the nations are in view. Our Lord, make disciple of all the nations, and you, you see that here. <clears throat> May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. That's places in Africa. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. That's particularly moving when you realize the most precious blood is the blood of his own son. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. That's what we would know of as modern Ethiopia. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. Here's the kingdom of God. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. And amen. And this ends book two of the Psalms, so the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended at least at, at that point. It's one of the reasons why many churches close each week with a stanza or so from Psalm 72. And then the book of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, page 964 in your pew Bibles. Beginning at verse 5 of Matthew 6, and when you, when, not if, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, not if, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases 
as the Gentiles, as unbelievers, do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and connected with it, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever, to which you say together, hallelujah, and thanks be to God. And we're in Matthew 6, on the Lord's Prayer. Being very honest, as you want to be always, there is... uh, pretty much a sense of desperation about our our current cultural situation. Um, Part of it is we're just a whole lot more aware of what's going on. And news always majors on bad news, and that only feed that sense of desperation. But there's no doubt that there is very much a sense of desperation in our cultural situation. We feel a little bit like the Titanic. Uh, that has hit the iceberg of of secularism and and basically anti godism and and it 's sinking and it is sinking fast and and, and you sense that and, and I think brothers and sisters there there is and I say this as someone who's second to none in my belief in, in optimism about what the gospel does in the world, and yet at the same time, you know there 's a planned obsolescence in your computers. There's a planned obsolescence in your Apple Watch, your Apple phone. After a couple of years, it doesn't charge. You know what I mean? Planned obsolescence. Well, there's a planned decadence in all cultures. And all you've got to do is survey history, and you see it. But, but why, why is that? Why, why is there this planned decadence? And how do you see it? Well, basically, you've got to do it, go to the Ten Commandments. We've, we've talked about the... The, the God himself, you have no other gods before you, and we're loaded with idols in our culture. We're not, to, we're not to make graven images. God's worship is to be according to God's word. Hello, where do you find that today? All right, and then, and then we've talked about the name of God and what that means, hallowing his name. Um, Sabbath, the, the Lord's Day, isn't it tragic? Do you feel the tragedy? No, no respect for the Lord's Day by and large today, and even work in many ways. People think more in terms of entitlements instead of earning by work. Respect for authority. I, I mean, really, folks, okay, police are not perfect, but, but to basically turn backs on people that kick police and harm them, really, really. Uh, you shall not kill? Um, hello? What about... The killing of the unborn, you shall not commit adultery, and all forms of, 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 sexual, of sexual decadence. You shall not steal, and property rights are pretty much gone by the boards. You're not supposed to bear false witness against your neighbor. I mean, be honest, who do you really believe anymore, right? The covetousness, we live in a culture that's built on covetousness. That's what I mean by, by built-in obsolescence, built-in decadence. Now, I don't want to end here. This is designed for you to look at the only solution. And now the solution isn't political. The solution isn't economic. The solution isn't socioeconomic. The solution isn't psychological. And the solution isn't scientific. And the solution isn't technological. You know why? None of these things reach the human heart. There has to be a conquest of the human heart, turning it from idols and from sin and self under the true and living God, holiness, which is more vertically oriented, righteousness, which has to do with our right conduct, holiness and and righteousness, and you turn from self to others. Folks, if your religion doesn't get you focusing on loving your neighbor as w- and yourself as well as your God, yeah, that's, that's not true religion. Anyway, so, so th- the fact that no system in any culture can conquer the human heart 
and make these changes is by design. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Pray the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, <laughs> okay? You're, and the third one, too. But particularly for today, you're, you're praying that the kingdom of God might come and displace the kingdom of man, that the kingdom of heaven might come and displace the kingdom of earth. Or to put, you want to put it in personalities, it's that Adam might be displaced by Christ. We're all born in Adam. People newborn are born in Christ, and, the, and it's that Christ, who is the king, might displace them. Okay, so that, that's, that's what we're praying for in general when we pray priority prayer number two, your kingdom come. And I hope you're using the Lord's Prayer. I hope that you're taking what you learn and deliberately, whether you do it in your family or individually or both, praying, Lord, please let your name be set apart as holy in the earth and get a little bit specific about it, okay? Lord, please cause your kingdom to come. But I think most of you are saying, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, so that's the way we're going to deal with this, with this today. Okay, so here we go. Here's the outline. Number one, incidentally, I have dear minister friends, and I love them dearly, and I love to hear them speak and administer the Lord's Supper and preach in a general assembly. Some of them, they mentioned the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom so much, and I want to stop them and say, do you know what you're talking about? Or is this just a shibboleth? And, and for many it is, all right? So here's what we're going to do. Number one, Getting down to earth about the kingdom of heaven, okay? How's that? Getting down to earth about the kingdom of heaven. Some people would be very upset by that because if it's the kingdom of heaven, it can't be down to earth, but we're going to do it anyway, okay? That's number one. Number two, so what are you praying for when you pray for the kingdom to come? And then in the third place, I have an interesting document called the Annals of the Kingdom, an annal is an historical record of, of certain events that have happened in history. And I've got an annal of the kingdom that we're going to look at in the third place. But let's first of all get down to earth about the kingdom. And when you read kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, they're the same thing, okay? They're just the two words for the same thing, God, our Father in heaven, and, and he is God, right? Okay, so the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are the same thing. And I, I lost count of the number of references to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom in the New Testament. I think there's over 100, at least, at least 100. But there's certainly dozens of them. In, in Matthew 3, in verse 2, John the baptizer comes on scene, and what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means it's right here. It's right at the doorstep. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus begins to preach, and he says the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And with right he preaches it because he is the king. And then you're in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5 and 3 and 10, the book ends of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or later, seek above all things the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, it's all over the place. The parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's like yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a field with wheat and weeds in it. If you don't know what tares are, tares are weeds, okay? So wheat and weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. The kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you, interestingly, right? And he says, unless, Nicodemus, unless you're born again. You can't even see the kingdom of God. And one of my favorite texts, th this ought to encourage you. You're at the end of the book of Acts, and, and Paul is right on the cusp. And man, if anybody's going to go into the whole world and preach the gospel so that what you read in Psalm 72 begins to be fulfilled in, in those early decades, wow, and Paul's in prison. 
<laughs> he's in prison, and he's under what's called house arrest, so people can still visit him. But this is the way Acts ends. The first book of church history. He's in prison proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord, say King, Jesus Christ, no one hindering him. Well, he's in prison. The gospel's not hindered. But, but it's, all about, it's all about the kingdom of heaven, and it's almost a metaphor. You know, even though Paul's in prison, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed, it's going to grow. Okay? So, so, so it's all over the place. I don't need to convince you as you read the New Testament, you're going to read about the kingdom. Now, that's not getting down to earth about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What is it? Well, number one, it's a new fatherland. And let me use that, that phrase. It's a new fatherland. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. God the Father has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Christ, in whom you have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Now, do you believe that? What that means is by nature, folks, you're part of the enemy's camp, the kingdom of darkness. And God comes by his grace, the kingdom comes, if you will, and you are transferred to the kingdom of Christ. And who's your father? If God the Father does this, he now is your father. The devil's not your father anymore. He is. And you've got to think like that. I have a new fatherland, and the first one's not the United States of America. That's second, all right? Or for some of you, it might be third. But the first one is where citizens, Paul says, of heaven, right? Kingdom of heaven. All right, so you have a new fatherland. And number two, in the nature of the case, you have a new king. And that king is Jesus. If all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him, and he is the king, and you're transferred into the kingdom of his son, well, pray tell, who is your king? He's Jesus. And so you say, as I hope you do say, in one way or another to the whole world, I have another king, and my king is Jesus. Amen. All right? So, so that's that you have a new king. Number three, you have a new lifestyle. If you're part of a, a new kingdom, those coming to the United States as a new kingdom, they have to learn a, a new kind of lifestyle. And even many of us who were brought up in the United States are still trying to figure out what that is. But you know what I mean? It's a new lifestyle in your kingdom. And Paul says the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking. That's not the first thing. You do eat and drink, but it's not the first thing. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is righteousness, doing right, Peace, you have peace with God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's your lifestyle. Those are, those are the main marks of your lifestyle. And then there's a, there's a future look to this. Uh, there's a, really, what are you talking about, folks? We're talking about salvation, right? You're talking about what it is to be born from heaven. Or the, the fancy term, regeneration, we're, 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 when regeneration means new birth. We're talking about a new creation, okay? Well, there's a present and a future state of that. You are saved, you are born again, but then Jesus speaks of the regeneration when all things will be changed. And 1 Corinthians 15 develops that in pretty heavy-duty language. The kingdom that Jesus must reign, king, until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And that will come progressively in history and climactically when he returns, right? Then he delivers the kingdom to his father, and God will be all in all. This, this, what we're talking about here will have been completed in the, what's done in this life, and what's done at the last day. So there, there is a future look. But that's the kingdom. You, 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 you're a new fatherland, you have a new king, you have a new lifestyle, and, and you don't just live for this life. Now, um, back oh, in the 1960s, I think it was about the time of the Jesus Revolution, um, there was a tract 
that came out. And it popularized the idea of a carnal Christian. And according to this tract, a carnal Christian is someone who has accepted Jesus as Savior. And you had to have something like that because you have all these altar calls for people to come forth to have Jesus as their Savior. And of course, you've got to assure them never to doubt their salvation. So they're people that believe Jesus as Savior. But there's marks of these carnal Christians. Uh, they're, they're by and large proud. Uh, they are by and large self-seeking. Uh, they, they have a lot of hate in them. Um, they're really not interested in the Word of God, but they believed Jesus as their Savior. And what's the problem? Jesus is not the Lord of their life. And in order to be a non-carnal Christian, Jesus must be Lord of your life. I can't think of a tract that's probably damned more people. If the mark of your life is what they described here, you can have gone down to a thousand altar calls. You're not a Christian. A Christian in the nature of the case is someone who looks to Christ as Lord. And that lordship has made that person and is making that person a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is new creation. Old is passed away. All things become new. Is it perfect in this life? No, it's not. But nevertheless, Christ is the king. Okay. Now, so that's, that's getting down to earth about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, that still doesn't answer the question. So I pray your kingdom come. What am I praying for when I pray for your kingdom to come? You've described it for me, but what am I praying? All right, well, the catechism, the shorter catechism, has got probably the best answer. Number one, you pray that the kingdom of the devil will be destroyed. And you say, well, where do you get that from the scriptures? Well, it begins with Jesus, Matthew 12, verses 25 through 28. And he's dealing with the Pharisees who are trying to say that, you know, maybe this, maybe this Jesus is really from Beelzebub, really, maybe from the devil. Jesus, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm casting out demons by the finger of God. The devil doesn't do that. A kingdom divided against itself doesn't stand. Then he says, in that passage in Matthew 12, 25 to 28, if I by the Spirit of God cast out demons, then the kingdom of heaven is come upon you. And so there is an, an anti, a definite anti-Satan aspect of the kingdom of God, that Satan's kingdom be destroyed. Romans 16 and verse 20, fascinating text. Paul's writing to the Romans they're in the center of where the beast would be described in the book of Revelation. You think our culture's bad. Theirs was as bad, if not worse. And he's writing to them, and at the very end, he says in Romans 16, and in verse 20, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he uses the language, the Greek word is tagma, he uses the language of military troops. And what he's saying is basically, you do what you're supposed to do as Christians. Okay, you live in Rome, so what? Christ is the king, Caesar isn't. Do what you are supposed to do in Rome, which incidentally meant in not a few cases they'd be martyred. But you do what you need to do, and Satan crushed under your feet. What do you crush under your foot? I know you may not like the idea, Hopefully you're wearing boots when you do it, but you're crushing a snake. And so as the church is marching in good order, it's crushing the serpent under its feet. Now, however you interpret that, it, the kingdom of heaven includes the destruction of the kingdom of the devil. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, when you read the accounts of the early church, many of them, 
Let me tell you, they're a lot more honest about this than we are. They saw among the pagans the evil, pernicious, I mean really scary works of the devil. And the church took real seriously Jesus came to destroy those works. My dear pastor friend in Uganda, Edward Kasaija, I said, Edward, you deal with demon possession? Oh, yeah, he says, we deal with it all the time. I mean, what do you expect? We've got witch doctors in every town. So what do you do? We pray, we fast, and we preach the gospel. And the devils come out? Yeah, we've seen it. Now, do you believe that? This is a, this is a Presbyterian, an old school guy in Uganda. But you see what's happened in our culture. You joke about the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil's this red creature with a long tail and a pitchfork. Oh, the devil loves that. Make fun of him and you won't believe in him. Or, if you don't make fun of him, you act like he really doesn't exist. And we've got to be a little bit... You know, gotta be a little bit careful here. You know, we're reformed people, and you know, I don't want to be sounding too much like some of these charismatics who are talking about the devil all the time. So, I mean, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'd be a little bit careful of that if I were you. Okay, so, so that's part of the kingdom to destroy the works of the devil. Number two, the shorter catechism that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, and ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it. What does that mean? That people will be saved. The kingdom of grace advanced in Psalm 72. As the gospel goes into all the world, it has effects, working even in leaders and kings and changing them, making them new creatures in Christ. Matthew 24 and verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world and then the end will come. Well, what do you expect that's going to do? That's going to save people. It's going to bring them and their families and others into the kingdom of God. And so we're praying, number one, that the kingdom of Satan may be destroyed. Number two, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced and ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it. And number three, that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. I think this is an interesting concept. Now, the Apostle Peter talks about looking to and hastening the day of God, which is when uh, the kingdom of God will be consummated and it will be given up to Christ. And, and we pray for the hastening of that day. And, and I don't know what that means, quite frankly. It's fascinating. But somehow, in God's providence, our doing evangelism, our obeying the Lord, our following him, has something to do with hastening the kingdom of glory coming in, which is new heavens and new earth. And so you pray that the kingdom of Satan may be destroyed, the kingdom of grace advanced, and the kingdom of glory hastened. That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Memorize it. And we will be memorizing it. You can just take it from here and pray it, folks. How do you pray for the Lord's Day? I hope you pray for the Lord's Day. You want the Lord to do something on the Lord's Day? Great prayer. Lord, as the word of God is being ministered, that's how the kingdom of grace is advanced, for that the kingdom of heaven might be preached into all the nations. So we pray, Lord, as the Lord's Day is coming, more and more destroy the devil's kingdom. You comfortable praying that way? No, I'm not. We'll get comfortable with it and pray it because that's what we pray for. Number two, Lord, further the kingdom of grace. Not only keep me in it, but, but bring my relatives into it, bring my friends into it, bring my neighbors into it. And that's why you get them under the ministry of the word, right? Okay, so the kingdom of, of grace may be, may be furthered and ourselves kept in it and, and so on. And Lord, hasten the kingdom of glory. Lord, Lord, come quickly. That's, that's what that means, right? Lord Jesus, come quickly. And the Lord answers prayer. Maybe the more we pray for that, maybe the more quickly he'll come. I don't know. But the point, the point is, that's what you pray for when you pray, let your kingdom come. Okay, for those, those three things. But what does that look like? What does it look like that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed. 
I mean, this is not like hitting the bases of, of the Houthi rebels, right? It, it's, that they, you can't see it like that. What does it mean that the kingdom of grace may be furthered? Well, I don't know. You don't read about that in the newspaper. What, what, what does it mean that the kingdom of glory might be... What does that look like? Well, brothers and sisters, your pastor has found among his documents something called the annals of the kingdom being an account of how God's kingdom comes. Hmm. And it's inspired by the book Holy War by John Bunyan. Now, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. That's not the, not the Muslim Holy War. Now, it, Holy War is about the kingdom coming, okay? And so this is the annals of the kingdom being an account of how God's kingdom come inspired by Holy War by John Bunyan. So if you want to read the original, you can get a copy of Holy War by John Bunyan. But, but this, is the, this is something inspired by it, a document your pastor has, the annals of the kingdom being an account of second petition of the Lord's Prayer, how God's kingdom comes. And the first chapter takes place in any land, any land, and in any land is a town of Humana, Humana. Now, originally, that town of Humana was a beautiful, beautiful garden. And there was joy in that garden, joy in its maker, the maker being the, maker being the king, okay, and, and the king's son, and, and also in the spirit of the king and the king's son. There, there was a, uh, the three persons of this, of this being, this God, who, who made uh, any land and, and humana. And it was a beautiful garden, and it was a joy to behold. But there was a horrible, really horrible takeover of humana in any land. And that was by an individual named Lucifer. Lucifer came to that town. He looked like he looked like a snake, actually, when he came. He really was one. Uh, he came to that town and um, basically told them, "It's really sad that they that they have to be captive to this king and the king's son and the spirit of the king and his son." And, and he'd free them. He'd make them really happy, and he would do it this way: he would give them something that the king and the king's son and the spirit of the king and, and the king and his son hadn't given them. That's the knowledge of good and this thing called evil. He'd give them a knowledge of, of good and evil. And the town is very intrigued by this. And, and so the town of Humana in any land listens to Lucifer. And the town is totally changed. In an instant, it's totally changed. And as time goes on, they realize more and more how totally changed it is, but they become so used to it, they just don't think about it in Humana. And Lucifer goes to work in Humana, and he builds a castle right in the center of that town, and he becomes the governor of that town. Okay? And he has a lieutenant governor that he chooses, and his lieutenant governor is called self-will, self-will. And self-will is really basically a puppet, okay, because he's always taking orders from the governor. Self-will always takes orders from Lucifer, even though he's called self-will. And then there are agents that the governor sends into the new town, that he's taken over, and those agents are three. One, lust of the flesh. Number two, lust of the eyes. And number three, pride of life. And these agents roam the town, and their influence is everywhere in the town of Humana. And then he puts guards 
at the entrance or the gates, if you will, the entrance to the to the to the city itself, to Humana. And there's there's basically a few. There's Eye Gate, and at Eye Gate he puts the he puts the guard darkness. The guard darkness is at is at Eye Gate. At Ear Gate, Lucifer puts the guard deception. Mr. Deception is the guard at Eargate. Now, Mouthgate is interesting because Mouthgate's guard is called destruction, and you don't want to smell what's coming out of Mouthgate. It, it's vile, it's corrupt, it's stinky, it's just awful. But that guard at Mouthgate is destruction. Now, there's frankly a pain in the neck in the town, and his name is Mr. Conscience. And Mr. Conscience is not happy what's going on with all this. Mr. Conscience is screaming. Mr. Conscience is, is beating the ground. Mr. Conscience is trying to warn people that this is not right. And so Lucifer and his lieutenant, Self-Will, uh, they take Mr. Conscience and they put Mr. Conscience in an iron cage. And he's you can still hear him. He'll knock on the iron cage, and he screams a bit. But basically, he's put off to the side is Mr. Conscience, and uh, they're, they're not really bothered by him too much. The main entrance to the city or the town of Humana, the main entrance is guarded by Mr. Insensible or Mr. No-Feeling. He guards the entrance, the main entrance to the city, and there's a generator. You've got to have a generator in the town to give it its energy and to animate everything. And the generator for the town is put under the leadership of Captain Unbelief. Captain Unbelief is in charge of what drives all the energy for that town. Now, um, the governor creates a neighborhood for uh, Humana. And the neighborhood is called Be Happy. Okay, Be Happy is the neighborhood. And it's court jesters that they have in Be Happy. And the court jesters are No Think, No Think, Distraction. These, again, court jesters in the neighborhood of Be Happy. No Think, Distraction, Feel Good, Don't Care, and Waste Time. But those are the jesters, and they want to make everybody in, in the town of Humana happy, and they make them laugh. And Governor Lucifer is quite an orator. I mean, he had to be because he seduced the town into following him and falling. He's quite an orator, and his speeches are always against the great king and the king's son and the spirit of the king and his son. And his speeches take on various characters, uh, whether really the king and the king's son and the spirit of the king and his son, whether they really exist at all. That's, that's a big one, those speeches, whether he really exists. His other speech is that if he does exist, he is cruel, he is rash, he is uncaring, and he is controlling. So the people will grow to hate this, these three persons, if in fact these three persons even exist. And then even more, his laws that he would put on them would make them slaves, and they would have no more happiness. Now, in fact, if you could look at the town of Humana from a distance, it really was in bondage. It was quite miserable. It was cloudy all the time. It was a place of many lies, and there was a unique torture called law lash. Your back would be stripped and the law would lash you and make you bleed and miserable. And it was always winter. It was always winter in Humana. Now here's what the town of Humana did not know, and we're still in chapter one, okay? This is what the town of Humana did not know. The great king and his son, and the spirit of the king and his son, they really loved Humana and many, many other towns in any land that were exactly like Humana in their misery. 
And the son of the king is empowered by the spirit of the king and his son to take the punishment for the rebellion of Humana and others. And, and, and it's a story in itself. It entailed the king's son suffering far worse than Lawlash. He would bleed to death. But he did that so he could take the punishment for Humana and other places. And he earns a substitute perfect obedience for rebellious Humana and others. And that's called righteousness, a perfect obedience called righteousness. And because of what he does, and he does it perfectly, he obtains, the king's son does, authority to depose Lucifer, to liberate Humana and others, and to become their god and king. And, and that, that's what's called salvation. And Humana would be renamed married because not only not only would would the king's son save humana he, he would take humana and many others like humana to be his bride forever and ever and ever and ever and there'd be no more misery it's a, it's a fascinating story and an edict from that time from the time of the son doing that goes out calling all the people in any land to pray, let your kingdom come. Okay? Let your kingdom come. Which brings us to chapter 2 in this very interesting document on the annals of the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 2. On a day appointed by the king, his son, empowered by the spirit of the son and the father, <coughs> goes out to conquer Humana. And the king's son is the commander-in-chief, I might add, and he has certain ministers. And those ministers are called bearers of good news. Bearers of good news. And from all that we read in the annals, they really had very beautiful feet as they went forth bearing good news. And those, those ministers bearing good news have got 66 battering rams, all with the insignia of the king's son on them. Fascinating. They march on Humana on the day appointed with the banner, your kingdom is coming and with the song the sun saves the sun saves now in these annals this is the account of the conquest and and this section of the annals in chapter two is entitled amazing grace amazing grace so first of all as they approach the town the the agents the ministers send up flares to alert humana that the legions of the kingdom are on the way. And those flares are four types, goodness and mercy, repent and believe. And those flares are sent up to alert the town that to surrender to goodness and mercy, to surrender by repenting and by believing. But the town doesn't. And so there are, again, remember Lucifer's in charge here, and he's speaking, and he's telling the people, you don't want to lose your happiness. You don't want to lose all the wonderful things I've given you. Well, don't you surrender to him. So the legions of the commander-in-chief, the king's son, make an assault on the entrance. And that's a long story. It's fascinating how this works. It's in, a, it's in an appendix in the book called Conviction of Sin, interestingly. Uh, but the resistance begins to melt away. And the battles are fascinating. The battle for Eye Gate, in which the guardian darkness falls to a new guard called Light. Ear Gate, 
in which the guard of deception collapses before the truth. And incidentally, the first truth that's hurled at deception is you must, you must be born again. Mouthgate is so foul that even the legions of the king don't want to get close to it. So they have a clever strategy. Once they get into the town of Humana, that, then they'll deal with Mouthgate and that foul odor. The main entrance that was guarded by insensible is penetrated finally by conviction of sin. And there's even more because the legions of the commander-in-chief tunnel under the town with the advance men of promise and kindness and love. And they eventually make their way up into the very center of Humana. Well, the first capture they knew was significant. And so the first capture of the commander-in-chief, the king's son, the first capture was this generator in which there was an awful lot of opposition by Captain Unbelief. And Captain Unbelief is evicted from the generator. Yes. And in the place of Captain Unbelief is Captain Faith. And from that point on, with the capture of the generator, everything in the town begins to change. The weather begins to warm up. There's a little bit of thawing. And you could tell the change was going to come. And the king's son now, who interestingly, his name is Emmanuel, okay? The king's son, whose name is Emmanuel, begins with his armies to march through the town. And it's a beautiful picture. Lust of the flesh is mortally wounded, and lust of the flesh is replaced by Mr. Love Holiness. Lust of the eyes is captured, and in his place, Mr. Love Beauty. And pride of life, thankfully, is executed. And love humility is there in his place. Now the court jesters in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the town of, 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 uh, of happiness, okay, the little neighborhood of happiness, the court jesters, they're deported. And, and they're moved, interestingly, to Hollywood. Okay? Um, and, and in place of the court jesters, in place of no think, there are messers. Mess, messers means a number of misters, okay? In, in the place of no think, messer renewed mind. In the place of distraction, messer devoted to good. In the place of jester feel good, messer do it right. In the place of jester don't care, Mr. Love serve. And in the place of jester waste time, Mr. Redeeming the Time. And the neighborhood is turned from what really should have been called entertainment to true happiness. Well, then they come to the corridor of Mouthgate that had that very foul smell, and they irrigate it. They irrigate the channel that is the corridor going to Mouthgate. They irrigate it with something called word wash, the washing of the word of God. And the smell changes almost immediately. Oh, and then we have Mr. Conscience, who's in the iron box. Emmanuel liberates him. He's pretty emaciated, and he's nearly dead. But he's fortified with nourishment from medicine cabinet, ten pills called the Ten Laws of God. And they begin to fortify and nourish Mr. Conscience. Governor Lucifer and Lieutenant Governor Self Will, uh, they're scared and they try to hide, but they're caught and they're cast out and they're replaced by the king's son, who is now the governor and the lieutenant governor called not Self Will, but Will of God. And the spirit of the king and his son is appointed as the secretary of state representing Emmanuel. And he goes through the whole town 
bringing encouragement to the citizens and comfort to the citizens. Sometimes he's got to convict the citizens if they're not walking properly. But, but by and large, he is what's called the helper for everyone in the town. And to look at that town, what joy there was in that town. For the first time, there was singing. And that singing was praise of the king and praise of Emmanuel and praise of the spirit of the king and his son, the spirit of the king and his son. There's a whole new appearance to the town. Uh, the the um, people who'd been lashed by the law are now bathed in the blood of the sun and in an amazing way it makes them white as snow. And they're clothed with the righteousness that the son obtained by his own obedience unto death. Law's lash is now healed by Dr. Grace. And so you have washed people, people clothed in white linen, and they have a doctor at hand, Dr. Grace, who helps them. And the atmosphere, oh my, the atmosphere, it's now not Humana anymore, it's new Humana. And the atmosphere is freedom and joy and life and light and truth and love. And the smell of the king's son is everywhere in the town. And it's married. It's married to the king. And he reminds them as they feast with him regularly that one day, after he's conquered all the other humanists that he has died for, one day there's going to be a great marriage feast and all of the married new humanists will be gathered together and there will never again, never again be the kind of thing that Lucifer had done to that town of Humana. And that story is told everywhere. And that story is told how the kingdom came. All right? How the kingdom came. Why? Because they've been taught to pray, let your kingdom come. And this is how it does come. And so they are taught to say and are told to say and encouraged to say, wow, this is how the kingdom really came. But now this town, this town... Um, it's been used to doing the will of Lucifer and self-will for a long time. And uh, some changes have got to come. And those changes are called doing the will of God in Humana, even as it's done in heaven. And next week you'll learn how that petition is answered. Got it? That's what you pray. When you pray, your kingdom come. Lord, thank you for being able to illustrate all of these things. We can relate to all of these things. And now our Lord, teach us how to pray, your kingdom come. And yes, we pray that the kingdom of the devil would be more and more defeated, the kingdom of grace more and more advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it. And Lord, hasten the kingdom of glory for the sake of the king. Amen.